0: And I can feel that I'm anxious. And if I don't catch that, I will start attaching anxiously to that individual. And then I'm at risk of either over disclosing or doing something that I'm going to have to go back and correct if I want to pivot back into my healthy adult.
1: Lori Jean Glass is a published author of hashtag healthy adult and creator of the pivot program, which helps people transform their lives. On today's episode, we go deep into how your message has value while the judge and jury spinning in your head and your past wounds hold you back. We also get into how relational rock bottoms can feel like you're face down in pain. We complete our conversation with how we are drawn to what's familiar regardless of merit. And today just happens to be one of my favorite episodes. That I've had the opportunity to record on the podcast, whose mission is to connect professionals with our audience so that they can help move forward in their relationships and to move past past patterns and limiting beliefs. Of our experts and resources here at the podcast, we are especially grateful for the Center of Shared Insight here in Denver, Colorado, who are now accepting new patients via teletherapy for our listeners in Colorado. On a recent blog post, they talk about the difference between resentment and guilt. Resentment is more externally focused and can even result in you feeling like the victim. It goes hand in hand with blame. Guilt, however, is self-blame for your actions or lack thereof. It's more of a feeling of responsibility and remorse. It's more internally focused and can result in negative self-talk and taking too much personal responsibility for a situation. It goes hand-in-hand with shame, and if you've heard us talk about Brene Brown on the podcast, you'll know that she's a shame and vulnerability researcher. More on that topic in a future episode that we'll record with Dr. Kristen Hick later in July, early August. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Lori Jean Glass. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I have my honored guest, Lori Jean Glass, author of Healthy Adult. How are you today?
0: You know, I am doing okay. It's a crazy time.
1: It is Um, absolutely the craziest time I've ever been. uh, uh, I turn 40 next month, and this is the craziest time I've ever been alive.
0: And I'm turning 60 in a few months, so it's definitely the craziest time I've ever seen, too. So Mm. it's wild
1: absolutely wild. Now let's just jump right in. We were just talking about authenticity and um, I want to come back and pick up that conversation where we left off, but I'm going to hit you with a hard question if that's all right.
0: Okay. I'm braced.
1: Good. (laughs) In order to be our most authentic selves, do we need to be completely transparent?
0: Well, I believe in transparency with discernment. Because I think it's a great question. And and it really kind of depends on the individual too and their own level of confidence, right? I think that plays into it. You know, I I teach something called the relational circle boundaries. I won't get into too much of that right now. However, what it teaches you is to have discernment about your audience of who you're talking to. That needs to play into what you want to reveal and feel comfortable revealing so that you can you know, feel safe in the context of the relationship. So,
1: does, mm-hmm.
0: that, does that answer your question?
1: Absolutely. So, it's a relationship no matter who you're speaking to. And to cultivate an even stronger relationship, we have to have common interests between those two people. In my family, I can talk about all of my personal growth. I can talk about the podcast. I can talk about the Enneagram with my oldest sister. The other three people of my immediate family, it just doesn't resonate with them as much. So, Am I going to be my authentic self when I spend time with them? Yes. Am I going to be my most transparent self without discernment on that topic with them? No.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. We speak the same language.
1: So we're talking about transparency with discernment. And one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown says vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability at all. It's more like manipulation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I, I believe that because um, if you're vulnerable, I usually, on podcasts and stuff like this, I usually use my own storyline because people can identify with it more. So I use myself as an example. You know, I had a lot of trauma. I mean, a lot of trauma. We're not going to get into all my trauma. But what I can tell you is that I could feel comfortable with you, Dave. I could feel like being vulnerable would be good and okay and safe with you. However, some of my trauma might bring you an activation of your own pain body wound it's pretty heavy. So if I don't have discernment around that, I look at that as you know. if you're going to be vulnerable, you need to be discerning about who it is that you're speaking to. Same thing we were saying before. It can sometimes be too much for somebody on the receiving end. So I I absolutely believe that statement wholeheartedly, as Brene would say.
1: I, I love that word wholeheartedly. And how that shows up in my life is some people with a history of trauma are very good at sharing their personal story on like social media. I however discern that that's not the place for me to talk about any of my activation or any of my trauma. Mm -hmm. And what I've come across often very many times is that we shouldn't necessarily be um, tiptoeing around somebody else's triggers.
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: that still has to come into play when we have a healthy conversation because it depends on location and it depends on context. Like we're not going to have this conversation at a busy coffee shop in the middle of the day. We're probably going to have this coffee, uh, this conversation about triggers and activation in a healthy, safe environment, maybe on the couch at home.
0: Well, again, not to get into the relational circle boundaries, but it would depend. Like if you were in my good category and I knew I could trust you wholeheartedly and you and I met at a coffee shop, we might have this conversation
1: mm-hmm. if,
0: if we were sitting there, just the two of us. Right. Um, so again, knowing your audience and know where they are in relationship to you and what's okay for you to reveal or or even that you want to reveal because sometimes, you know, people have the right to know that they might not necessarily brace yourself for this one, you know, we don't always really like everybody. It's okay to have differences, especially in today's time. There's going to be political differences. There's going to be a lot of differences that we're going to bump up against with other people. And yet we may still need to be in relationship with them. They might be a work colleague. They might be a family member, as you were describing before, you know, so it, it all plays into it. It depends on who your audience is.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that too. And in this day and age with our current events, uh, what's meaningful for isolation to connection?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how is that relatable to today?
0: Well, I think when we get really, um, well, when we talk about isolation to connection with, with Pivot, it's learning how to find your voice and have your voice and be able to say what you need to say to whom you need to say it to with respecting that other individual coming from the place of healthy adult. So, you know, many people have um, problematic developmental psychology storylines that get in the way of them connecting in a healthy way. So from isolation to connection is if you're going to, if you like Brene, like when she talks about rising strong or daring greatly, I pick up on what she's referring to is the ability to be able to stand up for what you believe in and and dare greatly and the greatly is with discernment about having your voice so that's the connection many people get fear or fear-based or feel even guilty sometimes or maybe too much shame and then go back into isolation and don't know how to quite reveal
1: mm-hmm. that makes sense to me and when you're talking about voice that every message has value mm-hmm. from every type of uh, person that we can come across. So who is it that we're going to meet in the next few weeks or in the next month or who have we met in the last year and what is their message and, and what value is there? So when we were talking last, uh, earlier this week, we talked a lot about attachment during withdrawal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we just talked about isolation to connection and let's go deeper into this attachment during withdrawal. Some people choose to withdraw. That'd be like a breakup. Other people are the ones broken up with mm-hmm. and they're thrown into withdrawal. So walk me through this just a little bit.
0: Sure. So let, let's just use everyday languaging with some of your listeners. So people that are in a relationship and their relationship isn't working and um isn't working maybe because of multiple reasons there's too much fighting they don't have the same beliefs regarding kids they might have financial differences that are causing conflict and uh one of them wants they know they need to end it but maybe nobody can end it nobody can choose the withdrawal so they stay in the relationship that gets and becomes very toxic because neither of them can choose withdrawal. And oftentimes that is because both of them have unresolved trauma wounds from abandonment and neglect, and it's in the leaving that's too painful for them. So they stay and they keep trying to rework and work and work and work on something that is clearly not working. So choosing withdrawal is having the ability to be able to consciously disconnect with that human being and move on the the key is to know that when you do that it's going to be worse initially it's going to feel worse initially because that old abandonment and neglect is going to come up and hit you on the back of the head like a fry pan
1: that's a good analogy and and cognitive dissonance can feel a lot like that like we have weighted shoes on and we just can't trudge through the sand anymore
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we stay
1: Yeah, we stay because of fear. And that's a common theme amongst our guests and uh, amongst our listeners of fear of rejection, fear of neglect, fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's expand a little bit on that fear of abandonment when you're trying to uncouple from something that you intuitively know is toxic for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, unpack it in what way? I mean, it depends on the individual on what, what, how they were abandoned. That plays a factor in it. I think what's really key and what I really push and promote is to make sure that these concepts are individualized. I think when we take big bodies of verbiage that you and I are accustomed to talking about and our listeners are drawn to it, you know, I want the listeners to understand that just because we say something doesn't mean it's going to be their storyline. Everybody is so uniquely different. So when we talk about abandonment and we talk about leaving, it really depends on, I'm a big Eckhart Tolle fan and it really depends on what that pain body is for you and how it's getting activated. You know, um, I think I told you when we talked the other day, my father drowned when I was a little girl and I was there. It was on the banks of the Potomac River and I didn't save him. Well, guess what? I was tiny, tiny little mm-hmm. girl. There's no way I could have I could have saved him. But guess what I did for decades until I knew what I was doing. I tried to save every relationship I got into, you know, and so that abandonment wound, not wanting to feel what had been imprinted in my um, Bradshaw inner child development stage was compromised by picking these relationships that did not serve me. You know, so everybody has their own unique story. It might be they were, uh, maybe they were married to somebody that was an addict and, re- and uh, overdosed and died, you know. Maybe they just got left by somebody that they were married to for five years, had three kids with, and then their spouse left them for a younger, what they perceive as a better version, you know. I mean, all kinds of different things and storylines that can happen, and that abandonment wound is going to be activated differently in everybody. But what's common is that wound can actually really take somebody out for a long period of time.
1: Mm-hmm. Until we address the repeated patterns that you were describing, that you wanted to save every relationship that you were in. That's right. And that comes straight from our limiting beliefs that we hold on to, these false stories that we're telling ourselves that we're convinced are true. and and our brain wants to go find a confirmation bias and it's just reinforcing these false limiting beliefs for so many years.
0: Yeah. And then we try, I, you know, I, uh, you know, I call that the judge and jury, you know, we've got to prove it. We've got to prove it to ourselves. And then we realize one day that, you know, the verdict came in many years ago and that there's no judge and the jury's not even in the courtroom. We're just spinning in our own past womb mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm you know, looking for an audience.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know. we can't, it's hard. It's so hard because we can't help ourselves no. un- until we become conscious of it.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's what we call, you know, I hear a lot about people talking about hitting bottom with drugs and alcohol. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's also relational bottoms that we hit and we're given um, beautiful signs from the universe. But many times we just, we don't see them. We don't see them sometimes until we are flat down, face down, just in pain. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I can relate to that, you know, hit relational rock bottom at the end of 2017. And I gave myself a little bit of time and I was reaching out to my guy friends and sharing, sharing my story of what happened and found some comfort there. And one of them was like, oh, Dave, you need to get back out there. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. You guys would be great together. I'm like, hey, man, it's like. It's way too soon for me. I know it. I need some healing. I need some, I need some time for me. And, you know, because it was a professional relationship, um, I almost felt, like, guilted into, like, meeting her for coffee. And then um, it was actually a very pleasant person and a good listener. And I'm like, okay, give me another 10 days. Maybe we'll go out again. I don't know. Felt no pressure there. And then six weeks in is my... Th- third sign from the universe. I have three really big signs in my in my life from the universe. And it was like, I thought I had taken care of these past patterns that I had been repeating. And there wasn't alcohol involved. There wasn't like, a, like out of the blue. It was simply just like the universe giving me another sign that says, Dave, you've deviated from your path. This is my call to action. This is the one that's saying, get back to your purpose, your alignment. And ever since then, here we are with a podcast two years later of like back on purpose, back on alignment and took that time for myself to kind of cleanse those past limiting beliefs, those false limiting beliefs in the past trauma and just rocket ship personal growth forward.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Good, good. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Congratulations. Thanks. It hasn't been easy. I think that's the first time I've shared that story on the podcast, actually, after two years because, uh, because of discernment. And for me, authenticity doesn't have like this just in your face, give you all of my transparency because you have to earn my story.
0: That's right. That's right. So in, in our world, you'd have to earn to be in the good circle. That's right. And I, have to, I have to trust you, right? hmm uh-huh. I have to and trust you that you can hold space for what I'm about to share with you and treat it with respect
1: mm-hmm. and not weaponize it later on down the road.
0: That's right. Throw it and back it's, in my
1: yeah. For the two of us, it's a very small circle. It's, it's like maybe even like a small sheet of paper that we're writing names of the people that are in our inner circle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for me that comes through like self-awareness in the Enneagram. And we were talking about authenticity You said it was really hard for authenticity to be out there and shared right now. Tell me more about that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, just today's date, you know, everything that's happening in our world today, there's so many people with so much to say and um, kind of afraid to say it in their own system because we've got, I mean, we've got a pandemic going on. We've got people on complete opposite ends of do I wear a mask or do I let it off now? Like it was easier a few months ago when everybody was in the crisis together. But now that we're venturing into this phase too, everybody's, so many people are on opposite ends. You know, I saw somebody yelling at somebody the other day when I was out on a hike for not having a mask on, although that person was six feet apart. And before you know it, these two people got into this huge argument and I'm sitting there, you know, Lori Jean, mind your own business. <laughs> they didn't hire you. <laughs> I wanted to stop and facilitate it all. Just that alone is enough of what's going on now. We have this, um, you know, the whole thing around what's been happening politically. You know, we've got this huge divide in our country. I mean, I don't know where you live or where you fall politically, and I'll take a risk here, but you know, there are people here that really. Um, are still standing behind Donald Trump and then we've got people that aren't and that is a divide you know politically we've got people that you know with our with our writing that's going on about really making sure that we make a difference now you know inequality and that's going on you know we've got these big huge 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 things happening simultaneously so for people to have their voice around any of that I I'm a relationship coach, right? And I'm more than that, but that's what I'm doing right now from home mostly during COVID. And I mean, my I've been I've never been so busy with people trying to find ways to find their voice with people that they care about deeply because they have complete different viewpoints. So it's a long winded answer, but I'm speaking kind of slowly because it's heavy. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a big, big accumulative effect. And I believe that you're outside of San Francisco, is that right? Correct. And We're here in Denver and these larger cities are having the, the protests, which in the Denver community are actually going very well, very safe until dark. And then we just have a complete shift in mentality and mindset. And we'll table the, we'll table the political conversation for now. But what's important is to understand that crisis doesn't build character, it reveals it. And that's what we're seeing amongst people who are frustrated about income being lost, people who are frustrated about not having choice at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like I have my favorite snacks at the grocery store that aren't available because that grocery store chain chose to prioritize other options in their grocery store. Yeah. So we're reaching these momentous milestones in our culture and our social uh, our social constructs right now that have needed to change for a long time, but now we have a crisis that's revealing character. Yeah. And it's super heavy, big conversation. We felt here at the podcast that we had a bigger voice and a bigger message to share than what was just recorded. And so we invited that guest back and we said, here's the floor, what do you wanna say? And that kind of helped us come together in a more inclusive way in our community so that we could share a message because we have a voice and it needs to be heard.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Uh, Why I bring that up is because I'm hoping and I know intuitively that that's my authentic voice. I can't speak for the individuals who are constantly bashed down and stamped down through um, our social construct, Mm -hmm. but I can give them a platform in order to voice it themselves and speak for themselves.
0: That's right. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, we're very blessed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we got off track a little bit.
0: Well, <laughs> it's definitely relative, you know, for sure. Very,
1: very much authenticity.
0: so. Authenticity. I think we're right on track. Okay. Good that's,
1: that's good to hear. Uh, that's definitely good to hear because where we left off, we were talking about thrown into withdrawal and preparing for withdrawal. And the, one of the big reasons that we were talking about that people stay within that tox, toxic environment is because it's familiar to what they've always experienced in their lives. Yeah, Let's, let's dig deep there.
0: Yeah. We're drawn to what's familiar regardless of merit.
1: Mm, Oh, yeah, that's the phrase that that really stuck out in my mind. Uh, Explain that for me, please.
0: Yeah, well, uh, so we're drawn to what's familiar, even if it's not good for us, even if it's not warranted, even if it doesn't make sense. And the hardest piece is if it doesn't make sense. I used to um, seek therapy uh, decades ago to find out and understand why I was so uncomfortable in a relationship. And sometimes I would simply hear these words, get out, get out
1: from, from yourself or from your therapist,
0: from the relationship, okay. therapist is what I needed to get out of at the time, but <laughs> 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 it wasn't the right match for me. I, I found many that were very good and effective, but in particular, my memory right now is on the few that said, you know, leave the relationship. Well, how many times I'm sure a lot of your listeners that are in the dating world or in an unhealthy relationship and they know it, they know it deep in their gut, but they can't get out. They just can't get out. And it's because there's something familiar about it that they feel they either need to fix. They either can't hurt it. They can't leave because they don't want to hurt them. And if When I say we're drawn to what's familiar regardless of merit, typically there's something that happened in their storyline over their lifetime that represented that same exact dynamic relationally that brought that energy that is what they're familiar with. They're familiar with the energy. You know, so if if somebody, after my father's drowning, my mom turned to alcohol as a way to manage and tolerate her feelings. And it, it took over. I mean, and from that, we had our, she burned our house down. I mean, there were all kinds of stuff that happened until she suicided when I was a teenager. And so I would literally, if I knew that my boyfriend in my younger days was not okay, I did whatever I could to get them okay because I was drawn to what was familiar regardless of merit.
1: Thank you very much for sharing that. That's a big share and I appreciate it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, When we don't address our past and my note here is our attachment wounds are showing up in our romantic relationships Mm -hmm. because we're not addressing them in a healthy way like through therapy or through coaching Mm -hmm. or through... Any number of ways we can actually work through that inner child work, shadow work, etc. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about those attachment wounds showing up in our romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. You briefly touched on it.
0: Avoiding it, avoiding it, right? People that get engulfed. People that you know. I I was more of the stage five Klingon type. Anxiety drove me. I was I was so far ahead of how I felt by using my anxiety to get out of my depression, really. My anxiety served me to mask what underneath was a very sad soul. It was a very sad soul. If I kept busy and I kept purpose driven. So the opposite side of that are the people that don't want too much connection. They don't wanna be engulfed. This is really, really big for our younger generation right now because many of them grew up with helicopter parenting. So their attachment style was avoidant. And so what happens is they get into a relationship and when there's conflict or anything going on, they just want to lean back. They're not going to lean in and resolve. They're going to lean back and go and get busy.
1: Mm-hmm. We're, we're such big fans of the Enneagram and I'm going to, I'm going to separate what you just said into a few different parts where I can relate a lot to anxiety is a cousin of depression. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without at least a little bit of the other.
0: I concur.
1: Uh huh. And for me, in my experience with depression and anxiety, I've always found that nutrition and exercise are my two best natural uh, remedies for that. But
0: absolutely. We call it true true vitality. Uh Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. If you're anxious and you're loading up on tons of sugar.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, it's going to present itself in in physical malaise, physical disease, um, mental disease. Exactly. Um, Sugar is probably the number one contributor to my mood swings. Mm -hmm. Um, So I cut it out as much as I possibly can. Same thing with coffee too. Mm -hmm. In my personal experience, anxiety actually pins me to the floor. Mm -hmm. I'm immovable, whereas some people get highly productive. They don't have a focus, but they're highly productive. That's not me. I'm actually highly productive in depression like you were talking about. I need to stay busy, so I'm numbing what I don't want to feel. Whereas when I'm anxiety ridden, I'm feeling everything.
0: Feeling everything, but it's so much that it immobilizes you.
1: Mm -hmm. It's this uh, weight on my chest, like uh, the torture of a board on your chest. And then they just keep adding rocks. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like for me. And I've written about that a little bit uh, through the podcast and through blogging and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I feel like I was going to interrupt you. So please.
0: Oh no, I'm listening to you. I, I love it. And then analogy.
1: mm, Thank you. In the second half of that sentence, where we were talking about depression and anxiety and pulling back, and and then stage five clinger, where we're big fans of attachment theory, Mm -hmm. and and that's what you're referring to. That I'm actually fearful avoidant, where I swing back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. When I'm single, I'm very secure, Mm -hmm. but when I'm in polarity with somebody new in my life, I. Am the opposite of what their attachment style is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it can go either way for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I teach attachment as energy because I think that people fluctuate so much that if they're going to be mindful of how they're attaching in the present moment, then they need to be able to feel. What's coming up for them in real time? Because I want to get this stuff when I'm at the mall, when I'm at a sporting event, when I'm out and about. Like, I I don't want to get it upon reflection when I put my head on the pillow at night. I want to be able to be effective when I'm out there relating to other people. So, if I meet somebody and for whatever reason they're connected to something in my life that represents something that might make it uncomfortable and I can feel that I'm anxious. And if I don't catch that, I will start attaching anxiously to that individual. And then I'm at risk of either over disclosing or doing something that I'm going to have to go back and correct. If I want to pivot back into my healthy adult, Mm -hmm. that makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's um, staying present in the moment is what you're talking about, but also, um, acknowledging what those feelings are that are coming up, putting a name to it mm-hmm. so that we can process it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's not easy to do. Um, looking at ourselves in the moment is very hard to do.
0: Well, we teach it in a way to um, go back and develop out those developmental stages. So we look at inner child, adolescent, adult, and then healthy adult. So it's actually easy to do if you know the origin of where that energy came from. So like my um, stage five Klingon is my guts to know, and that's my adolescent self, Scarlet.
1: (laughs) So you did put a name to it. This is a, um, my coach says, put a ridiculous name to it. Like something that we can make fun of.
0: Yes. And also, (laughs) but but you don't want to just make fun of it. You want to embrace it like Scarlet. Like if I met you, I have a feeling you and I would have a lot of fun. You know, I, I do. I like to have fun. I like to connect. And I also know that if I get too much in my adolescent self, there could be trouble.
1: Mm.
0: So when I when I feel that, you know, it's, it's about respecting those parts of self, reparenting those parts of self, embracing those parts of self, because they are with us all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you I don't know if you've looked at my book, but I go into that pretty deeply. And talk about those developmental stages because if we if we try to get rid of them, we're going to lose because they're with us forever.
1: Mm-hmm. What does what does like to say to you when you uh, when you encounter her?
0: I can't repeat that on your podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair.
0: But I mean, in all in all fairness, saying you know she's a lot of fun, but she'll also stay. She won't do what I need to do. Hmm. Yeah, she... um, I don't need to do that today. I'll put that off till tomorrow. You know. Oh, I'm she just does. gonna go buy that because I can.
1: Hmm.
0: She's like that because my adolescent years it was guns a blazing in my home. Man, I had right. no parenting. Hmm. It was it was the wild wild west literally because that was the you know the years that um, my mom's you know got really sick and it was traumatic and so I had to onboard. In my adolescent years a very strong strong part of my character which i'm so grateful for so it's not all the negative it's also the benefits. so your listeners that are in the 12-step world we talk about how our character defects can also be character assets Mm -hmm. and these developmental parts of self are really assets too if you rely on and use them you know effectively my inner child who i call savannah you know, she's extremely vulnerable, man. She is the woman that a man, I'm, because that's, that's my preference of being in a romantic relationship. Um, you know, I, I can go there. I can go there. I can get vulnerable. I can, if I'm safe with you, I've got a lot to offer. But that's in my, that's, that's Savannah. That's that deep part of me that is longing. And we'll connect if there's something to connect to. Does, that make does sense? it?
1: Yes, it does. Does it take a long time for Savannah to feel safe and comfortable?
0: It does, and it should because I'm not going to get into all my abuse, but mm-hmm. I wrote about it in the book a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it does, and I respect that, man. I that's why I created the circle boundaries. If somebody's going to get in my good circle, this helps a lot of people with attachment disorder because. If somebody's gonna get into my um, good circle, you know, I need to trust them. And if I just, I used to trust everybody. I used to just love everybody. I was one of those, you know, come on, come all, you know, until you hurt me. And then mm-hmm. I kept getting hurt over and over again. I'm like, you know, and then you hear those people that are always the victim. And that's a heavy subject, so I apologize. I don't mean to be too abrupt, but there are some people out there that can't find their way out and they're always getting hurt over and over and over again. And they mm-hmm. become, they are the victim and yet they also repeat what you were saying earlier. It just keeps repeating itself over and mm-hmm. over again. So does that make sense?
1: It, it does, and it's totally relatable to me. Um, it's not... Too heavy of a conversation that we can't go here. Um, if I hadn't done the work on the victim mentality, then I think it would be. It might be activating me a little bit. But I'm I'm open to talking about this because I I recently cleared that or I do parts integration. Mm -hmm. And so I reintegrated the victim um back into my psyche, right? It was severed at some point. Who knows when? And why this conversation resonates with me so much is because you can pinpoint events and times in your childhood or early development where your personality got solidified. And that's why I love the Enneagram so much is because that's where it comes from. We have all nine types inside of us, but your personality type, the achiever was solidified at X, Y, and Z time in your life. My challenger personality type was I solidified and at 17. So when you're talking about letting certain people in and not having boundaries, because I'll let anybody in and I'll just welcome everybody in until they hurt me. Yeah. Well, that's why boundaries are there is so that it's not walls up. It's showing people where the door is to get through into the inner circle.
0: That's
1: right. And it's totally part of the context. It's going to be heavy and it might be triggering to our audience. And that's okay because that's where growth comes from. I, I have that, named child or that named psyche that I I was poking fun at earlier Mm -hmm. and the victim mindset and the victim mentality, the voice is a should've, could've, would've kind of a narrative. Mm -hmm. And when I started with my new men's coach, super grateful for this leadership in my life. It's an amazing community and I've grown exponentially since. When I heard that that's sometimes how the victim talks to ourselves, I went to work. I wrote it down. I uh, journaled about a little bit and then went to my NLP guy, Thomas. And I'm like, Thomas, let's reintegrate the victim because I was repeating this shoulda coulda woulda mantra to myself. And that's not okay because it holds me back and it will bring up the repeated patterns in my life. I
0: love that. Bravo again. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that, that's that profound work that it, if anybody listening to this feels like it's a Mount Everest, you know, it, it can feel like that initially. But when you, get, when you get there, it is so freeing. You have so much relational freedom. It is worth every single step. And it is far less painful than doing it over and over and over again to yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it yeah. wasn't easy. There were a lot of rocks in the path on the way to get there. And yeah. essentially, just the team of people that I work with to develop personally, uh, they help me move those rocks out of the path. Mm-hmm. That's what they're there for. I can't see it all. I can't, yeah. Observationally speaking, I can't see what my rocks are. But when I, when I narrate my life, mm-hmm. Dave, what's coming up for you this week? Okay, I'm starting to see this and this and this. Oh, that sounds like X, Y, and Z, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the outside eyes of my life. Mm-hmm. But the more rocks I remove from my path, the easier it gets.
0: That's
1: and cool. and we, we touched on false limiting beliefs a little bit. And that's what each of these rocks are, mm-hmm. is that when my personality type got solidified in my late teen years, my inner narrative from there on out was, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. Um, you're a burden on other people.
0: And a deeper conversation that she would say is, you know, just do it no matter what I'm guns a mm-hmm. And that's doesn't always serve other people when I go in too quick, too fast. So I've got to pull back and read my audience that she, am- she, she has to get it done because nobody else would.
1: I can relate to that.
0: <laughs> what Savannah's inner dialogue is don't leave me.
1: Okay, let me ask you about that if that's all right.
0: No, oh, totally, yeah.
1: So, Savannah is where the vulnerability lives best or lives most for you.
0: Well, no, not where it lives. Not where it lives best. It lives best in my healthy adult, right? Highest level of consciousness. But it's where, if I can tap into it, it's so pure that mm-hmm. it's it's really um, it's sweet.
1: Hmm. So let's tie those two things together because the statement that you just made earlier was um, Savannah's inner narrative is don't leave me. Mm-hmm. Well, I would almost guess that Savannah would want like serious protection against being abandoned. And that would like maybe for me personally not tie into vulnerability. Can you clear that up well, for me?
0: It, it, it ties into it because if I am with somebody that is safe, then I can show everything okay because Scarlett does everything she can to not let anybody see savannah okay so most people's this is kind of heavy but I'll, I'll keep this in a simple context but i do a lot of clinical trainings for clinicians and when you're looking at the protector oftentimes the individuation process births a gatekeeper and that gatekeeper is the adolescent self that's protecting that inner child. Mm-hmm. But the gatekeeper hasn't learned how to parent.
1: No, they have one job, and yes. that's to keep the inner child protected and safe.
0: That's right. But how, right. They go, how you go about doing it, I, I mean, I meet people that are CEOs of big companies that are still operating from that energy mm-hmm. in their personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Really. It really
1: is. It really is. And there's a lot of ways that we can uncover that. Uh, one way is, is talking it out like we are right now. And um, again, if I hadn't done that work previously, it would be very triggering for me and very activating of the part that was severed from my being.
0: That's right. And that's what the pivot process is all about. We have modules on all these things that we're talking about. It's to educate people Mm -hmm. and have them do the work in a way that's not so complex and complicated.
1: Right. Definitely. We're talking about high levels high level concepts here. And it sounds as if like you're applying it more on like a, a street level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Someone told me the other day, a client said, you know, Lori Jean, simple is your superpower,
1: <laughs> which is funny for an achiever. Yeah. Like you can probably stack a lot of simple ideas on top of each other very quickly.
0: And I love doing that because I love nothing more than to see people's light bulbs go on. Like, I love hearing you share your story, Dave. I don't know you well. This is our first time, you know, doing something like this. And I, I mean, your journey is, it's, it's powerful and it's so needed because you take in what we call the whole perspective. I love that you're talking about this personal growth and including things like food and exercise and, you know, looking at it with a wide, wide lens so that you can walk through life really so much healthier, you know?
1: Um, so we categorize it into five pillars of optimal health. And the mm-hmm. you're right. In a holistic way, mental, physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual are our five pillars that we have as our foundational coaching principle around here. And if I don't...
0: You do too. Our whole perspective
1: hmm mm-hmm. And if I don't walk that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if I don't walk that every day, then I'm not doing myself any favors and I won't be good for any of my clients, meaning I won't be showing up as a leader in our community for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to reframe that because I caught myself saying I'm not good enough. That's not true. I simply just have to use my tools that I've instilled in my life in order to take care of me first mm-hmm. so that I can show up my best self. Yeah.
0: We, we call that pivoting into our healthy adults.
1: <laughs> that was a quick pivot too. I'm not sure if uh, if you guys heard that or not, but.
0: You pivoted quick.
1: I did. It's a, it's a reflection of our, of our conversation. It's a reflection of our honesty, transparency, authenticity, and trust that we've built in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. We, did, we did have our pre-interview 30-minute call. Um, and so we got the ball started. We got everything flowing there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally.
1: So if your message resonates with our audience today, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
0: The best way is to go to lovedpivot.com.
1: Okay. I'll put that in the show notes below so that they can reach out. Um, if there's one thing you want to leave us with uh, that we briefly touched on or didn't quite get to today, what would that be?
0: Great question. I think I think I'd want people to know if there's a hunger inside of them where they know they really want to, to be different, to look at that as an opportunity, not as that there's something wrong with them and that they can do it. They can do it. Mm-hmm. Like change is possible. As simple as that might sound. I think a lot of people, when they start a process of change, those core beliefs that you were talking about get in the way and just know that they, they can If they really want
1: to. Yep. And it's only one step at a time. Like we are not going to climb Mount Everest in a day. No. They have stages for a reason of climbing in that altitude. And, and the reason why so few people have done it is because it's out of reach until we reach base camp.
0: Yeah.
1: Base camp is like, uh, reaching out to your counselor, your coach, your therapist, um, somebody that you trust that's not too close to you. Yeah, And then we go up in the different camps to, I don't want to say the pinnacle because we never truly arrived, but that's a, the breadth of the analogy that I that I have concept for right now.
0: It's perfect. <laughs>
1: All right. I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say here. But Lori Jean, that was amazing. Thank you so much for the com- conversation. And what I love about an achiever and the, the challenger personality type connection is that the achiever does a very good job of um, challenging me in a subtle way to expose my vulnerable self.
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. What I love about a challenger is that they uh, make sure that as I'm moving quickly, that I'm being really clear and true to what I'm saying. So thank you for that.
1: Yes, of course. You're welcome.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: what do you say in the next six to 12 months, we catch up and see where each other's at. I'd like to learn more. Love to. Okay. it
0: will be great. All right. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure.